Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. San Francisco looks different these days. Uh, Many are questioning the future of the city by the bay. And quite a number of people have already determined that that future isn't going to include them. Uh, Listen, I'm not saying there aren't valid reasons to leave San Francisco. I've even encouraged a couple of people that they needed to do so based on their life's circumstances. But I do believe this, we should have valid reasons if we are going to leave. Here's a question I want to begin our time with today. How can you make a commitment to the future of a city when the present is so far from ideal? How can you make a commitment to the future of a city when the present is so far from ideal. We wanna talk about this over the next four weeks by looking at the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah makes a commitment to rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, and not because of what he sees, but because of what he sees that could be true if he were to do something about it. And Nehemiah makes this commitment to rebuild the city of Jerusalem without knowing what it's going to cost him or how long it's going to take. If I'm honest, what I see so often among us today is we don't want to make commitments unless we know everything that's going to be involved in that commitment. Unless we can fully measure it and quantify it and go, okay, now I'll decide if I want in or if I don't want in. This past Sunday, I heard a great quote from John Tyson. John is the lead pastor of Church of the City in New York. And as he began to talk to his church, like I'm talking to our church today about regrouping and relaunching and rebuilding, he said this statement, and I love this statement. He said this, you're not afraid of the future when you're willing to shape it. You're not afraid of the future when you're willing to shape it. So many of us are like, I'm just going to stay on the sidelines and see how things go and then determine if I want in. But no, 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 I'm not going to get fixated on what things look like today. I want to be a part and I want you to join me and all of us to come together to be a part of actually shaping the future that we want for our lives, for our church community, as well as for the city of San Francisco. When we started Epic Church, I've got to tell you, I didn't know everything I was committing to. I'm not sure I would have made the commitment, just kidding. We didn't know everything that we were committing to to start this church from scratch. But we did know this, we were in. And being in means you do whatever it takes. And then of course you ask God to do whatever it's going to take that you cannot do, that he would show up and do something in your midst. And this is how we started it. And I wanna ask us this question, can we make a commitment 
to San Francisco when we don't know how much it will cost us or how long it will take? Like, can we even do this? Can we, can we make a commitment to San Francisco's future when we don't know what it will cost us or how long it will take? That's what I want to learn from Nehemiah today. And I want to begin in chapter one, verses one through 11, which is the entirety of chapter one. And I, I just want you to know, as we come into Nehemiah's story, it's 445 BC. And Nehemiah is going to get news about a group of people and about a place that's going to alter his personal future and alter the future of Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, we read these words. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, when, when he heard about the current reality of Jerusalem, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes Open to the hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exile people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah speaking to God, they are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then he notes at the end, I was cupbearer to the king. It's 445 BC when Nehemiah gets word that Jerusalem is in trouble. And when he gets this word, he tells us that he's cut bare to the king and he's in the citadel of Susa because Susa was the winter residence of the Persian kings. And when Nehemiah gets this news about Jerusalem, he's moved deeply by this news. At this time, Jerusalem isn't exactly on the best places to live list. But Nehemiah imagines a day when things are different and he can't shake it. And here's what you and I need to know. Whatever God has for our future, it will always be about a people 
and a place. Whatever God has for your future, whatever he has for our future, it will always include, it will always be about a people and a place. You're going to see Nehemiah do some amazing things in trying to rebuild Jerusalem, but right from the beginning here in chapter one, we get a glimpse into his heart. I love this in verse two, it says, Nehemiah, who's far from Jerusalem, he says, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived, and I also questioned them about Jerusalem. And from the very beginning, before you see his action, before you see his leadership on display, Nehemiah gives us a glimpse into his heart, and I want this to become part of our heart individually and collectively as Epic Church, because here's what I'm seeing today. You'll see this on the screen, but here's what I'm seeing today. Too many people in our world today make commitments only out of self-interest. Too many people in our world today make commitments only out of self-interest. And I am concerned about this and you should be concerned about this. I see this coming from the White House. I see it at the state level. I see it in local politics. I see it with Democrats. I see it with Republicans. I see this with corporations. I see it throughout the city of San Francisco. I see it in churches across our nation and world. And at times I even see it within our own church here at Epic. Have we forgotten that the way of Jesus is the exact opposite way of the way of self-interest? And I love what Nehemiah is showing us. It's not just about his future because he's doing okay. He's not affected personally by what's going on in Jerusalem, but he has way more than just a self-interest. He's interested in a people and he's interested in a particular city. How about you? How about you? When Nehemiah understands about the remnant, by the way, a remnant is a small remaining quantity of something. So he's asking about the remnant, those who are still there in Jerusalem who haven't been dispersed or exiled away from the city. He's like, how are they? And he understands that they're in trouble and that the city is broken down. Now, if you haven't been to downtown San Francisco lately, let me give you some pictures so you can see that we're kind of broken down right now too. Take a look at these. I need you to know something. These images are not what get me out of bed every morning. Hey, these images by themselves, they lead to hopelessness for me or despair, discouragement. These images are not what get me out of bed every single morning, but I have some other images that do help get me out of bed every morning. I imagine, because I'm already seeing it, a movement of prayer happening in our church that's stronger than it's ever been in our 10-year history. Uh, I, the images that get me out of bed in the morning are seeing a passionate culture of worship form and rise out of this place called Epic Church. God is giving Seth songs, and I can't wait to see how the worship culture is going to be impacted in our church. The images that get me out of bed in the morning and that cause me to speak with a little excitement in my voice right now are imagining next generation of kids and students understanding God still has a purpose. And if he brought them through a pandemic, maybe they will believe that God can do anything in their future. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning, thinking about your places of work, becoming uh, places where you bring good to the city and our partnerships here and seeing justice happen in our city. These are the things that get me out of bed in the morning, imagining your friends and neighbors and coworkers, those that are present, and those that will come when the city begins to rebuild, imagining them experiencing life transformation in Jesus. Listen, if the only images you have are what you can see with your physical eyes, you may wanna stay in bed every morning, but I'm asking you to begin to imagine what God might be building that's not visible to our physical eyes yet. 
if I could let you in on how our family is thinking about the future of San Francisco and how our staff team is thinking about the future of San Francisco, I'll just say it like this. Here at Epic, we are playing the long game. Here at Epic, we are playing the long game. For whatever reason, God has confirmed his calling. When I go to ask God about if our future is still here, I promise you it's in my spirit as though he doesn't even let me finish the question. He's like, Ben, of course, now let's just talk about what kind of future that's going to be. We're playing the long game, which means we're not just thinking short term. We are thinking years and we are thinking decades. And when you're playing the long game, whether it's an investing or parenting, you make very different kinds of decisions, both in the short term, medium term, and long term. We're playing the long game. And here's what I want to invite you into. I want to invite you to come on board and passionately help us rebuild this church and rebuild this city. But you need to understand that your passion and my passion isn't by itself going to be enough to sustain us over the long haul. You see, we need something else. We need someone else. And I love what Nehemiah does before he gets into all of his brilliant leadership. Nehemiah, he is strategic, but he knows his strategy won't be enough. Nehemiah, he is great with people, but he knows his people skills will not be enough. Nehemiah is the kind of leader that I wanna try to emulate, but he knows his leadership skills will not be enough. He needs something else. And he begins right away before he gets to work. He's inviting God into his hopes and desires and dreams, which brings this to mind for me and for you. We must create space to invite God into our hopes, desires, and dreams for San Francisco. We, we must create space to, to begin to go, God, okay, yes, we aren't wide open yet as a society, but we can already begin inviting you and preparing the way to have you do something for our present situation that will impact our future situation as well. And if you look at Nehemiah's prayer in verses 5 through 11, you see some things there that I want to invite us to model. I want to invite us to live out. Nehemiah begins by saying, you are the great and awesome God. Nehemiah begins by pointing to the character of God. Let me ask you this. Do you think Nehemiah calls out God's character to remind God or to remind Nehemiah? Now, it's great to exalt God and to tell him who he is, but whenever I'm praying similar to this and whenever you pray similar to this, what's happening in us is we are articulating what's true about God and we're reminding ourselves, oh yeah, I should be confident. Oh yeah, I should have faith. Oh yeah, things aren't great, but this is kind of God's MO to work in difficult circumstances. And so as he says that about God's character, he's reminding himself. And then he says, you're the, you're the God who keeps his covenant of love. Why does he say that? You can imagine if you were to look around San Francisco or in Nehemiah's case, look around Jerusalem, you might think, does God still love us? Like, is he still here? Does he still have a plan? I mean, have you seen this place? Nehemiah reminds himself, you're the God who keeps his covenant. You're the promise maker. You are the promise keeper. And then I love, he begs for God's attention. He says, let your ears be open." Let your eyes be here. See, God, give your attention to the situation. Guys, we have to invite God into what we're up to and what we're hopeful for our future. And then he confesses his sin. Don't run by this one. This isn't the funnest one, but don't run by it. He confesses the sins of their entire people. He confesses the sin of his father, 
of his father's family and he confesses his own sin. And I love this prayer. He's like, okay, if I'm going to invite God into this movement, if I'm going to invite God to help us rebuild the future, I need to make sure that I'm clean and pure before God. And, and, and let's do that. Let's just go, God, if there's anything in me that's not what you would want, I just want to confess that. I want, want to repent of that because God, I don't want to build the future alone. I want to build the future with your help. And so God, if there's anything that needs to be cleansed in me, would you cleanse it? And then he recalls God's promises. God, you told Moses that even if we were as far away from you as possible and we returned, you would bring us back. And then he prays for success. God, would you give me success? And then he asks God for God's favor. I love the prayer for favor. And we've said this over the last decade and I wanna give it to you as reminder or if you're new to the Epic community, welcome. But here's what we've said for a long time. God's favor is what we want most. God's favor is what we want most. When God's favor resides on a life, on a marriage, on a family, on a church, on a community. It is the greatest distinction. God's favor makes the impossible more than possible. God's favor makes the darkness turn into light. God's favor gets you jobs that you honestly weren't qualified for. God's favor has gotten us spaces as a church and uh, and so many of our leaders in our church, his favor has gotten them into great housing situations. God's favor is what we want most. And and here's the thing you need to know if you you aren't aware of how God's favor works. One of the biggest ways God gives us favor is by moving the hearts of people in power. One of the biggest ways God gives us his favor is by moving the hearts of people in power. And here's a verse you need to know. It's in Proverbs 21, verse one. It says this, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he, the Lord, channels toward all those who please him. I love this idea. Yeah, the king, the most powerful person, the most powerful kinds of positions, whether it's in your company or here locally or at the national level or the global level, those in power, you think that they hold all the cards. But Proverbs 21 says, no, 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 here's the thing. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that God, that the Lord channels who towards who? Toward all those who please him. And Nehemiah is like, by the way, I'm cupbearer to the king and God, I need your favor so that I can get his favor. Where do you need God to give you favor? With whom do you need God to give you favor? Could it be your company? You need, you need favor from your company because of your current predicament. Maybe you're unemployed and you need favor from the people that you hope will hire you. Maybe you need favor from the school officials at your child's school so that you guys as a family can get on with what you need to get on with. We certainly as a church are praying for God's favor when it comes to property, that he would give us wisdom, but also that he would perhaps move in someone's heart who owns a building and they would hear about what we're looking for and God would be like, boom, this is it. God's favor makes anything possible. And then Nehemiah, I love this, he prays for success. Some of you are like, I didn't know we could pray for that. Others of you are like, oh, I know what it's like to pray for success, but you know what you know? You know what it's like to pray for success that's only about you. I know what it's like to pray for success. Sometimes it's only about Ben. But Nehemiah, he knows that if God gives him success, it will mean success for a whole 
a lot of other people and it will mean success for a city. When you pray for success, would you not just pray for your own success, but would you link your success to our church's success, to the city of San Francisco's success? I mean, that's the whole idea, but I love this. He prays for success. I wanna ask you this, why do we make survival the goal when God is calling us to thrive? I've been there over these last six and a half months. God, can we just make it? Are we gonna be okay? Is the church's financial situation going to be okay? Is it, are, we, are we all right? And there are times when we are thrown off in such a dramatic way that we have been in the season where we need to just go, hey, we do need to survive because there are worse things than survival. But there are also better things than survival. And God wants us to thrive. He doesn't want to sit back going, oh, I hope it's not going to be too hard. Oh, I hope we can still stay in San Francisco. No, he's telling us as a church, I think, to go on the offensive and go, hey, why don't you guys go build the future? And by the way, I'll be with you. I'll I'll be with you. And wouldn't that be enough? If God is going to be with us, wouldn't that be sufficient? We started our church in 2011. But what you may not know is that we did most of our fundraising in 2009 and 2010. Anybody know what the economy was like coming out of that 08, 09 time? Thankfully, I didn't know as much about the economy then as I do now, because maybe we would have never started this church. But if you think about it, it's like, what were we thinking? I mean, how many of you would have been confident to make the ask that we were making during that economy to start a church not just in San Francisco, but in this part of San Francisco. But aren't you glad we did? And here we are again. And I'm starting to ask you with this message today, and you can tell me in the chat, you can write me, no judgment if your answer is no, but who's in? Who's going to come lock arms with us? Who's going to believe God for what we can't see with these eyes? Who's going to commit themselves to doing whatever it takes and playing their part, not knowing how long it will take or how much it will cost us? Who's in? Because I think God is stirring our hearts towards another faith venture. I love this from Andy Stanley in his book, Visioneering. He says, visions are born in the soul of a man or woman who is consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. The the tension between what is and what could be. I want to let you into uh, uh, my soul a little bit today. I've shared this with a few close friends and my wife, Shauna. Here's what I feel like. I feel like that second grader at recess who's getting ready to line up and race all of his friends. And you know, the teacher, the PE teacher or the second grade teacher, she's like, on your mark. And I'm like, yes, I am. She's like, get ready. And I'm like, come on. And I've been feeling like she's not saying go. I'm ready to start rebuilding this thing. I am eager. I am excited. And yet I know we're just in this wait and see mode. But let me tell you something. When Nehemiah is in a wait and see mode, he's not waiting passively. He's asking God to come in and do something. And understand this. There's always a distance between a vision being given and the fulfillment of that vision. But the question is, what will you do between God giving us the vision that I'm trying to lay out today and God actually fulfilling that vision? Because if you don't fill the space between in the right kinds of ways, you might not ever get to be a part of the fulfillment of the vision. 
and you make your own decision, I wanna invite you in, but I'm not going to miss out. And when I spend time praying with and casting vision alongside our staff team here, they've already said, hey, we're not gonna miss out either. Our encouragement to you is like, don't miss out on this. And as so many people have told me over the years, Ben, I really wish we would have been here when we launched the church. And I wanna say to you, you're going to get a chance to. It'll be a relaunch. There'll be more people involved. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but you're going to get a, you're, you're going to get a chance to. And I love this, this idea that, that, that God is up to so much more than we can see with our eyes. God is up to so much more than we can see with our eyes. And what we're going to call out of each other, we're going to call the best out of each other, by the way. I'm not going to apologize. Sometimes I apologize like, oh, you know what? You don't have to jump in if you don't want to. I'm not going to apologize for calling the best out of you. And you don't need to apologize for calling the best out of me. I want to bring my best. But you know what I want more than my best and your best? You know what I want more than human effort? Divine intervention. I want God to be up in the mix. You're like, Ben, where is the passion coming from? Here's part of the passion for me personally. For whatever reason, God is not letting me go anywhere. God continues to clarify and confirm his calling for me. I'm thankful to have friends that are running the race with me. I'm thankful so many of you have already said, hey, we're in. It's not exactly what we wish it was today, but we'll be in for when it will be. Thank you. And there's room here at that table for all of us. I want to read a statement to you. And it's a statement with two choices. And maybe you actually need to make the second choice, but I want to give you two choices. I want to urge us towards the first one. I want to bless you if you need to make the second one, but I want to read it so that I don't miss a single word because I think it's that crucial. I'll say it a couple times. We can be moved by the current reality and future hopes of our city, or we can move away from the current reality of our city and forfeit what could be in the future. Let me say it again. We can be moved by the current reality and future hopes of our city. We can be moved by those, that things are not great in so many ways, but we're hopeful. Or rather than being moved by, we can move away from the current reality of our city and forfeit what could be in the future. And again, if God is stirring and giving you valid reasons to go somewhere else, go somewhere else. But if God is using this message and Nehemiah's story to awaken a new commitment and vision in you, then let's go. And some of you, I know that you are watching this in other cities, states, and countries. If God has you there, stay there, get involved with the church, go for it. But if he's using this message to call you back home or call you to San Francisco for the first time, I'm not going to apologize for him doing that either. Just don't blame it on me. He's the one calling but I would obey if he is. You know, when we think about commitment, the way we've talked about it today, I said that, you know, Nehemiah and all of us, we need to make a commitment without knowing everything that will be on the other side of that commitment. And it's hard or maybe even impossible for me to think like, did Jesus ever go through that thought process? As he was thinking about making a commitment to all of humanity, to you and to me, like, did he ever go through? Because I could imagine, I don't know if it was like this, but I could imagine him going, okay, should I make this commitment? And then looking down through the future and looking into my life and going, should I make this commitment? I know that there are going to be times that Ben rebels against my ways and does the exact opposite. Should I make this commitment? I know there are times I'm going to bless Ben and he's going to be ungrateful. 
for some reason, he committed anyway. I'm so grateful. And today, as you think, not about your commitment, but the commitment that Jesus has made to you, going all in, when let's be honest, you and I didn't have a whole lot to offer. Wow. He's like, I'm in. And he knew what it would cost. And he knew how long it would take. And today, I can't think of anything better, including committing yourself to the future of San Francisco, than you committing your life to the one who gave his life to you before you had anything to give to him. And if that's you today, I just want to encourage you to give him these words. Jesus, thank you for making a commitment today to me, even when I didn't have that much to give to you. But today, whatever I have, my life, my future, I give it to you. And I want to make the kind of commitment to you, Jesus, that you made to me. If you've done that today, I really do want to encourage you to get your phone out and text the word BEGIN to 313131. For the rest of us, what kind of people will we be? Fearful of the future or shaping the future? Will we be like much of our world, only interested in what's good for us? Or will we realize that whatever God has for our future, it will always be about a people and a place? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for what you're stirring in my own heart in this moment. God, thank you for what you're calling to rise up in the hearts and minds of people who are watching right now. God, when I look back at what we were trying to do as we moved here in 2010 and starting this church in 2011, I'm blown away. And so God, having lived through that, may I not be a person who goes, I'm not sure if God's going to help us in the future. God, I'm here. And God, we're here. And we're willing to do whatever it is you want us to do. Would you give us more than the images we can see with our physical eyes? Would you begin to stir and paint some pictures with our spiritual eyes that can be seen? We want to say yes to whatever you have. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things Nehemiah knew is that if he was going to build the kind of future he wanted to build, he was going to have to give some of what he had been given. I mean, let's be honest, for a guy like Nehemiah, he was going to have to give a lot of what he had been given. And the same is true for us. The way we've been able to build Epic over the past decade is because people were willing to be generous. And so many of you, hundreds of you, are doing that in this season and you're helping us build the future. And for those of you who haven't been involved in that way yet, let me invite you in to come help us build this glorious future. You can give today by following the text prompt on the screen. You can go to our website and give as well. And again, thank you for those of you who are building the future in really an incredible way. There's some of you who you really want to stay in San Francisco or you want to be able to come back to San Francisco, but there are some needs. I am not saying that we can take care of every need that you have, but please don't say no to San Francisco without first letting us know of what your need is. Go to our website, click the have a need image and let us know what your needs are and we'll be able to see if we can respond and meet your needs. Seth and the band are going to lead Waymaker. And I love the words of this song because it's everything we've been talking about today. God, make a way 
even though we can't see it with our physical eyes yet, and this deep belief that, God, even when we don't see it, help us be confident that you are still at work. Let's respond. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco.